Joshua said, you want to keep that commitment? Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 24, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And Joshua sent the people away. Every man to his inheritance. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's final words to the nation of Israel are familiar to most of us. You may even have the verse hanging somewhere in your home. But what does a commitment to serving the Lord actually look like? Today, we'll pick up in part two of the message, House Rules, in the Onward series. Last week, we learned the first of three distinctions of a house that serves the Lord. First, it is established by commitment. Let's listen now as Pastor Trent shares two more things that distinguish a house as one that serves the Lord. Here's Pastor Trent. Two people living together with a marriage commitment is the greatest tool that God has to show the gospel to the world. Because the world is going to watch how you deal with sin. They're going to watch whether or not you can forgive and love one another on your worst day. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did to us. He loved us on our worst day. He forgave our worst sin. Marriage is the greatest place to reflect the glory of God. So what is this commitment? Now, we like to use this definition around here. It's a little verbose, but it's kind of cramming everything the Bible has to say about this marriage commitment together. Here is what marriage is. You establish the commitment of marriage when you say marriage is this. Marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God, conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime for the glory of God. Now you're looking at that going, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what you did. And that's what you're still doing today. And so don't stop now. It doesn't stop on the day that you make the commitment. You get up every morning, you renew the commitment, you go after it again, you understand I'm living with an imperfect person, this person's going to hurt me today, they're going to disappoint me, they're going to let me down. But you know what? By the grace of God, we're locking arms, I made the commitment, it's a holy covenant, we've got the help of God, and we're going to live this thing out for a lifetime for the glory of God. We're going to the finish line because all of the other little me's in my house are watching how it turns out. That's what marriage is. So have you made the commitment? Have you established that as a permanent commitment in your home? Here's the second thing. He's like, dude, that was enough. No, we got two more. <laughs> My house will be led by conviction. Now, the commitment is one thing, but the conviction to live it out has to be a passion in my soul. Commitment without conviction will be short-lived. So we need the conviction. Now, I want you to notice the conviction here in this text by Joshua. He says here in verse 16, so he makes this famous declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How did the people respond to that? Verse 16, 
And the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Good answer? Good answer? Is that, is that a good answer? <laughs> wow, these people are with the program. Verse 17, they go on, they elaborate. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went among all those peoples through whom we passed. Verse 18, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, echo, you're about to hear an echo. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. It's almost like, man, they're high-fiving each other. They're slapping backs. They're like, yes, we're all going together. This is such a wonderful celebration. This is, this is awesome. And the scene goes back to Joshua in verse 19. What do you think Joshua's going to say to these people? You think he's going to go out there and high-five them and say, way to go. It's exactly what I wanted to hear from you. Notice verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. That's kind of a downer. Like, come on, Joshua. We're trying here. Apparently, Joshua realized they were trying to make a commitment without the conviction. And so Joshua reminds them of three convictions that had to be so ingrained in their soul that he knew their commitment wasn't going to last unless they made these, unless they had these three convictions. First of all, he says this: you can't serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. You know what Joshua wants to remind them of? God is holy. Is that a conviction in your heart? Are you just playing games with God? Is really what you want is less chaos in your house? Is that your ultimate goal? Is that all you want? If that's all you want, it's not going to last. The reason for making the choice is understanding my house is established by God. It is to be a place where God's holiness is seen and known and transferred and meditate upon. So he says, you, you're not going to be able to make this. You can't serve God without understanding God is holy. And then he says there's, there's something else. He's jealous God. God is jealous. Now listen, it is a sin for you to be jealous. It is holy for God to be jealous. God loves you so much. He wants reciprocal love toward him that is not challenged by any other thing you love. Not a wife, not a child, not a house, not an amount of money, God wants your whole heart, and he doesn't want you committing spiritual adultery on him, giving love that belongs to God to another God with a little g. God is jealous. And then here's the third thing he reminds them of. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. You talk about a downer. Now, you have to remember this is written before Jesus Christ. And we understand looking back on this, that God does not overlook sin. God looks at our sin with intense, blazing hatred as He sees it on the cross in Jesus Christ for those of us who are in Christ. Outside of Christ, 
God will not forgive your sin. He's not playing games. There is only one substitute for sin. It is the righteous atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. God doesn't overlook sin. If you by faith have not transferred your sin to Jesus Christ on the cross and embraced Him by faith, God will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And so, He's telling us there has to be this conviction. God is holy. God is jealous. And God is serious about sin. Now, those are theological convictions. But what about the real practical day-to-day stuff of life that happens in your home? For our family, I kind of thought back on the 21 years that we've been a house and the themes that have filled our house, the things that we've done intentionally to saturate our home with an environment. And I thought of five things that were convictions that we have said we are going to fill our house with these five things. First of all, worship. God wants our attention. And so that means that Usually when the alarm clocks start going up, the first thing that happens in our home is people start reaching for Bibles because we want to hear from God. He demands our first, He demands our best, and we want to get our eyes on our instructions for the day. And then we want to respond to Him in prayer, God acknowledging this is a house that's going to be used to serve you. I'm choosing this day to serve the Lord individually. And as we go out and start engaging the other little me's in our family, we're going to use this environment to serve the Lord. We fill our home with worship. Now, worship is not something that happens on the weekend. It happens gathered on the weekends at church, but it happens individually and as a family all through the week. There are times that we gather the family around, and we say we're going to have family worship, and we're going to open our Bibles together. We're all going to get our eyes on the same page. We're going to hear the instruction of God, and we're going to respond to it, and we're going to talk about what's going on. Now, listen, I'm talking to some men here, and as the man, as the leader, as the head in your home, you need to establish these convictions. You say, oh, I don't really know much about the Bible. Can I help you get started? Let me tell you what I usually do, okay? I have a degree in theology. This is still the way I do it. I will bring my Bible to the dinner table. I will open it up to a section of Scripture. If I can't think of anywhere else to go, I look at the calendar. Oh, today is the 26th. Proverbs 26 seems the Lord's leading me to Proverbs 26 here today, and I'll read one or two or three verses out of Proverbs 26, and then I will look at the youngest child and I'll say, what do you think that means? They will offer their answer. I'll turn to the next oldest child and say, what do you think that means? I'll get that opinion. After we go through all the children, I'll eventually turn to my wife. Andrea is like, what do you think that means? And she'll give her answer. Now I have six multiple-choice opportunities to select the best answer and say, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking. Now, 90% of the time, it's what Andrea said. Guys, 
it's usually going to be what your wife says, okay? And just say, that is, that is incredible. You know, that's exactly what our family needs. Can we, just, can we just bow our heads here today and recommit ourselves to walking these verses out? And in doing so, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to become the pastor of your home. I am not the pastor of your house. I'm the pastor of this church. You are the pastor of your house. You are the worship leader in your home. And so what will your home be filled with? If you don't make the intentional choice, it's going to be filled with worshiping other gods. Here's another thing, kindness, usually expressed through words. I don't know about you, not all the words that are expressed in our home build one another up. And so Andrea and I are like heat-seeking missiles when we hear someone else in our home tearing another down. Sometimes it's me and Andrea tearing one another down, and we have to say, whoa, this is not kindness being expressed here. We're not going to use our words to tear each other. We are on the same team. We are in the same house. We have enough enemies on the outside of our house. We're not going to create enemies on the inside of the house. We're on the same team. We're moving in the same direction. We're going onward together, so we better be kind to each other. And then joy. Joy is not just happiness. But listen, if you're going to have some serious discussions about the holiness of God, the jealousy of God, and the fact that He takes sin seriously, there better be some other moments to balance that out where you are on the floor giggling and laughing with snot bubbles coming out of your nose, something so hilarious is happening in the home. This is a regular thing for us, and, and, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm the worst culprit here um, in, in not fulfilling this responsibility. There is a question that gets asked to me every week, and it's this question. Dad, is the sermon done? Because they know I am a grump until the sermon has been written. Sometimes that means I'm a grump from Thursday through Friday into Saturday, and then finally that burden is released and I can smile and be happy. But you know what? I need to be joyful all the time, no matter what kind of pressure I'm under, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. I remember in the second year of this church, those of you that are new to Harvest, you may not know about this, but in the second year of our church, my wife, Andrea, was diagnosed with cancer. That's kind of a downer. I mean, Lord, here I am trying to serve you, and we're using our home to serve the Lord. We're building this church while we're building our family, and you allow Andrea to get cancer? Listen, we prayed all through that. We gathered the family around. We had to let the children know this is very serious, and we don't know what's going to happen here, but we need to trust the Lord together. And, and I re remember we let the children kind of weigh in. It's like, do you have any questions? What, what's going through your mind right now? And after all the questions, I remember my, my youngest child, Leah, who, by the way, turned 13 yesterday. Pray for me. She, uh, she turned 13 yesterday, but she was like six at the time, something like that. And I remember the question she asked. It was a really somber moment in our family. And she said, Mom, will you still be able to dance in the kitchen? I mean, does cancer kind of wipe out dancing? Maybe in most homes. In our house, we're still going to dance. And, and by the way, good news, um, cancer removed, healing granted, 
No chemo, no radiation. Andrea's doing great, and she still dances in the kitchen. And we all dance with her because we want our house to be filled with joy, no matter what's going on. And our home has to be filled with forgiveness because I don't know about you, but I blow it every day. And there's usually not a day or two that goes by before I have to go to somebody in my family and say, uh, that was not my finest moment. I was grumpy. I wasn't filled with joy. I wasn't kind. And I didn't have a worshiping heart. I need a fresh start and forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? And because we know that we have been forgiven vertically by God, we bend the forgiveness out and grant it to others. You say, you don't know what they've done to me. You're right. I don't know what they've done to you. But I do know what you, by your sin, have done to Jesus Christ. And he forgave. How can you withhold forgiveness from somebody who's hurt you? I don't know what they did to you, but it wasn't anything compared to what your sin did to Christ. As we've been forgiven, we forgive. And then finally, our house will be filled with ministry. Our house will be filled with ministry. That means that we understand we're going to lock arms together and use all of the assets to serve the Lord. I remember a few years ago, we... Um, we do this actually regularly, and we, we actually do it every week. I don't know if you understand this, but um, this church has been served while I've been building this house. We as a family have been building this church, and, and there's so many times that, that there's tension in the home, and we're not being kind to one another, and, and we, we, we go and we serve. We get outside of our house, get outside of ourselves. And we focus on what the purpose of our home is, and it changes the whole attitude in the family. A few years ago, we went down to serve a meal at Hope Ministries, homeless shelter in downtown South Bend, and, and our kids were grumpy, and they didn't want to go, and they're fighting over the seats in the car, and, and they're fighting over what music we're going to listen to on the way down there. And, and we get out of the car, and we go spend an hour or two serving homeless people in downtown South Bend. Coming out of the homeless shelter, children are skipping, holding hands, opening the door for one another. Would you like this seat? You pick the next song. What happened? We used our home for the purpose for which it was created. And it invited the blessing of God. It changes your whole attitude when you get outside of yourself and build something other than your house. I'm so grateful for people in this church that have used their family to serve. I don't know if you know this right now. I mean, your, your, fam, your family is being served by other families in this church at this very moment. I'm, I'm grateful for There's a family in our church. Do you know about the Spear family? Do you know about these people? I mean, we, we have 300 volunteers who work in our Harvest Kids ministry. Half of them are Spears, Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're everywhere, holding babies, cleaning up messes. They're, and that's a, that's a wonderful example. About 4 o'clock every Friday afternoon, I'm in my office preparing this message and getting ready, and um, a little 10-year-old boy will walk in. He's got a, a duster, and he starts dusting in my office. His name is Owen, and while he's in there dusting my office, Steve is in, Stephen is in another office. He's probably 13. He's dusting another office. And I don't know where 
Maverick is, but he's doing something. And uh, Darren and Chrissy, they're cleaning. They're, they've used their family to serve the Lord as a ministry. What is your family doing? What is happening at your house, but what is happening beyond your house? Have you established the commitment? Have you led by conviction? And then thirdly, have you made this choice? My house will be involved in God's mission. Notice here in verse uh, 23, Joshua said, you want to keep that commitment? Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 24, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. Look down at verse 28. And Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This whole scene closes with Joshua sending the people away. Now, that may just sound like a very passive thing. That was the result of 24 chapters of walking by faith, That was the result of 400 years of God defeating enemies, clearing a path, granting them a place where they could establish their houses, raise their children, and live out the promises of God. It was not an accident, and it was not unintentional that Joshua sent them. They didn't just passively walk away. They were commissioned. They were sent by God to serve the Lord in the land, in the house of their inheritance. Don led worship this morning. Uh, I appreciated Don doing that, and that was awesome. And uh, Don um, got married a year ago to Rachel, and I got to do their premarital counseling. And... um, during their premarital counseling, I reminded them of what I remind every person I do premarital counseling with. Uh, number one, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Number two, you're believing a myth that your marriage will be strengthened by spending exclusive one-on-one face-to-face time with one another, and that's what's going to get you through. Now, there is an element of that is very true. Some of you need to go spend some face-to-face time with one another because you've neglected that. You need to go have a date. You need to go sit down and talk. You need to get some face-to-face time together. But newlyweds already know that. What they need to hear is this. Your home will be strengthened and your marriage will be established not only with face-to-face time, but with side-by-side time. Get your eyes off of each other and get it onto God's mission and lock arms together side-by-side, doing something together outside of your marriage. If all you do is face-to-face time, if you're so focused on one another, you're going to cannibalize each other. 
It's like two ticks looking for a dog. You just suck the life out of one another. The expectations are so high. You're going to meet my, I just can't, I'm so glad to be married to you. Now meet my every longing. And pretty soon you're like, I don't think a God created another person that can meet the deepest longings of my heart. So what do I have to do? Hey, why don't we do something together outside of the marriage? And I always hear this, you know, we're going to wait on having children because, you know, the children, they just will get in the way of our face-to-face time. That's right. They force you to work side by side, don't they? And focus on something outside of you. And it is in the building of children and the building of a house and the building of a church or the building of God's kingdom that your home and your marriage is used to serve something beside yourself. Are you using your home to serve anything other than yourself? I want to challenge you to do something as we finish this message. I want you this week to write a family mission statement. Do you know what a mission statement is? Ray, could you hand me that piece of paper right there? I want to read to you a mission statement from an organization that you may or may not be aware of, if I can find it. There it is. See if you can identify this mission statement. You know what a mission statement is? It's kind of, it answers the question, why does this organization exist? Our church has a mission statement. Harvest Bible Chapel exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Simple, direct, clear, urgent, simple, right? We exist to fulfill the Great Commission, which means we make disciples around here. If you want to be a disciple, you're going to fit right in here. If you want to make disciples, you're going to fit right in around here. If that's not why you exist, you're not going to fit in here at all. But I want you to listen to this mission statement. I want you to write your own mission statement as a family. Listen to this. See if you can guess what organization this is. We provide knowledge and take action to ensure national security. In pursuit of our country's interest, we put nation before agency, agency before unit, all before self. What we do matters. Our mission requires complete personal integrity and courage, physical and intellectual courage. We accomplish things others cannot, often at great risk. When the stakes are the highest and the dangers are the greatest, we are there, and we are there first. We stand by one another and behind one another Service, sacrifice, flexibility, teamwork are our hallmarks. Anybody know what that is? Central Intelligence Agency. Now, did you notice anything about their mission statement? Was there anything in that mission statement that said we exist to serve ourselves? No. It is completely and entirely focused on something outside of the agency. What about your house? Are you using your house to serve the mission and the purposes of God? Joshua said, as for me, in my house, we're using all of it as an asset to serve the Lord. Today, Pastor Trent Griffith gave us some practical ways our households can display our commitment, conviction, and mission to serve the Lord. Is your home characterized by worship, kindness, joy, forgiveness, and love for God's Word? 
Well, if some or all of these things are missing, today can be a new day for you to make the commitment, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, we'd love to invite you to a weekend worship service at Harvest Bible Chapel on one of our two campuses in St. Joseph, Michigan or Granger, Indiana. You can find service times and campus locations by visiting us at harvestgranger.org. And I hope you'll join us again next week as we begin the concluding message of the Onward series. I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for listening today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.